Lord, we thank you. Uh, we uh, are very thankful that uh, you've given us your word to let us know what's going to happen. And uh, as the scripture uh, makes some uh, things clear from uh, our perspective, we're still not uh, got all the details of what your plan is, but uh, what we do know, uh, we understand that you're here uh, one day to save us uh, and uh, take us to, to live with you forever. So we look forward to that. And uh, as we look at uh, what uh, we need to be aware of, we may we be sobered also uh, with the reality of what will happen in this world. So Lord, we love you. We thank you for uh, your Bible and uh, its guidance. And we praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, we you got that sheet of paper you notice there's three passages here this evening we're going to look at the matthew passage so matthew chapter 24 will be there and uh not look at the other passages though i do have a few things that are the same with on that they're <clears throat> pretty much identical in what they say as you said with every parable that you read and that jesus gave uh, as he was in his ministry here on earth he didn't give explanations on everything a lot of it's for us to figure out. And when we look at a text, the specific parable we're going to look at is the parable of the fig tree, and it's only two to three verses long, so it's rather a short parable. But you won't understand it if you don't have the context. You look at the text, but the context, you go, what's that? The things surrounding it. And what we have in Matthew chapter 24 is a an occasion that kind of takes a turn for the unusual. As you read verse 1 of Matthew chapter 24, it just simply says this, and Jesus went out, you say, out of what? Jerusalem, departed from the temple. His disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple. Uh, and as they do this, Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another, that shall not be thrown down. Now, in your notes there, I just I put this, and you got a blank there, but it, you know to, to keep us active here. But Jesus' disciples went to the Mount of Olives, which was east of Jerusalem, and I should have uh, put a slide up here because it would have helped you. But east of Jerusalem is the Mount of Olives, and if you ever see a picture of Jerusalem, it typically is taken on the Mount of Olives, and then you've got this expanse where you see today the Dome on the Rock, you'll see Al-Aqsa Mosque, you'll see all of that there. It's, it's panoramic. I mean, if you go to Israel and don't go to the Mount of Olives and get up there, you've missed part of the trip because it, it allows you to see all of Jerusalem that sits there. But back in Jesus' time, what this allowed individuals to do when you got on the Mount of Olives was to be able to see one of the seven wonders of the world. Herod the Great uh, was an individual that he was great. Uh, we, we talked about him a little bit in different occasions, but Herod the Great wasn't so great. In fact, he's one of the most despicable individuals you would ever find uh, Herod uh, killed his own family members to make sure that they wouldn't take over uh, and uh, had them killed off and the like and that. But he was known as Herod the Great for his building projects. And one of the building projects that he had was this temple. By the time Jesus was here, it had taken 46 years to this point to build, and it wasn't done yet. Herod had already passed off the scene. 
but it was a magnificent building because it was covered in gold. The building itself was covered in gold. They talk about occasions where the sun would rise and it would be blinding because the polished gold that was there uh, on this building. And you can almost imagine this, the disciples being there on that occasion and being there early in the morning as they they leave or in in the evening, just depending on which direction uh, they were at. And they would have said, look at this building. It's and for the world, seven wonders of the world. I mean, this is one of the things, if you've you got a bucket list to go see, you would go see this back in that time. And they would have commented, look at how magnificent this, this building is that's here and how incredible it is. And they're, they're basically just talking with Jesus about the different details, and he just answers back and goes, do you realize there's not going to be a single stone on another in the future? And for them, that causes some concern because they aren't thinking that. In fact, when Jesus came to Jerusalem the first time uh, that he came to earth, they thought he was setting up a kingdom. They thought he was coming to set up a kingdom. They had no thought that Jesus had to come to die on a cross to save people from their sins. That's not in their thinking. It's probably that they're thinking, listen, if he's here to set up a kingdom this will be one of the buildings that's his. I, I mean, that's part of the thinking that's here. But the Lord says, no, that building's going to be knocked down. And for the disciples, they're a little bit concerned about this. And as you see uh, in your notes, we have the start of what is known uh, throughout uh, circles. It's just known as the Olivet Discourse but it is the largest section where Jesus talks about the future. Uh, Jesus was the Son of God. He's God. He knows what's going to happen. Uh, So he's going to explain to these individuals what's going to happen in the future and help give some warnings. So I wanted to start in verse number 3. And I'm going to read down to verse number uh, 31. And we're going to read through what Jesus has to say. And realize this, uh, as we go through it, he's going to give some details and go back and cover some details, so we'll we'll get to this, but let's just read it through here this evening. Verse 3, as Jesus sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately saying, tell us, when shall these things be? What shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Jesus answered and said unto them, take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and they shall deceive many. Uh, And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of war. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end's not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows." Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and kill you and shall be you shall be hated for excuse me you shall be hated of all the nations for my name's sake verse 10 and then shall many be offended and shall betray one another shall hate one another and many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many and because iniquity shall abound the love of many shall wax cold but he that shall endure to the end the same shall be saved And this is the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall come the end. 
Verse 15, when ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him uh, which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe to them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. But pray that your flight be not in winter, neither on the Sabbath day. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not uh, since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should be no flesh saved. For the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Verse 23, Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall rise false Christ and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Behold, I have told you before. Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he's in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in a secret place, uh, chamber, believe it not. For as lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven shall be shaken." And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heaven to the other. Now, lots of details. But what you have here is that Jesus, uh, here in your notes, it just simply says this, that the disciples came to Jesus and asked several questions. Their questions were this, when will the temple be knocked down? When will Jesus return, and what are the signs of his return? What are the signs of his return? That's the blank. Remember, the, the disciples are still thinking that Jesus is going to set up a kingdom, They have not figured out that in four days he is going to die on a cross. So they think, okay, he's going to leave Jerusalem, but come back, and that's when he's going to set up his kingdom. He's going to knock down the temple. I mean, this is their thinking. So what's the signs that you're you're going to come back and that the end is here? Because that's what they thought. When the Messiah comes back, that's the end of everything, when he sets up his kingdom in Jerusalem. So that's the question. What are the signs? What, what can we take and go, okay, it's here. The end is here. So Jesus answered with a lengthy statement about signs that would happen before he came back. Before he comes back, in his understanding, he died, he rose again, he's back in heaven, he's got to come back. He's talking about coming back the second time. His statements describe a time period known as the tribulation. In fact, he uses this word several times. Tribulation, great tribulation, tribulation. This is where we get this idea that there is something in the future that is called the tribulation. Um, And so you have this time period that he calls the tribulation, which just simply means affliction. That's his fancy word for it, but difficult times. But you see in that paragraph, what Jesus details is what both Daniel, the prophet Daniel, and the book of Revelation, which John, one of his apostles, wrote, 
would declare as a period of seven years. Now, in your notes there, I made a mistake. It shouldn't be Daniel 7. It should be Daniel 9, verses 24 to 27. This is a famous pa- passage in prophecy that, uh, that John works off of and the like, that Daniel says that there is 70, it's, in, our, in our translation calls it weeks, but it's 77s, 490-somethings that have to happen before the Lord can come back. And he declares this in the book of Daniel when he gives this prophecy to Daniel. He says there's going to be 490 years And it's going to start when Daniel was in captivity. But when the order goes out for people to go back to Jerusalem, Daniel was being held in captivity and all of that, you know, lion's den and those stories, but he's held in captivity. But there's going to be a command from somebody to go back to Jerusalem. They're going to rebuild the wall. And then the Messiah, the Christ, is going to be cut off. And that's going to happen in 483 years, which means there's seven years left. You say, what's that seven years? That's the seven years that hasn't happened yet. That's what Jesus is talking about here where he works with the nation of Israel uh, to get them to where they need to be at. The purpose of those seven years is to, to get the nation of Israel to actually accept their Messiah, accept the sacrifice that he gave. So Daniel prophesies this, and then Revelation talks about a seven-year time period. So this is what Jesus was describing, but Jesus divided the time period into two sections. And it's going to be divided by an event right in the middle that is going to be the chief sign. The first thing that you have there is that he talks about what is known in verse number uh, eight. He describes it this way, that this is going to be the beginning of sorrows. At that uh, right page yep these are the beginning of sorrows that is the first three and a half years of the tribulation and what jesus describes as you you read through that he talks about a time that is one that's filled with wars and rumors of war that there's going to be famine pestilence sickness uh and earthquakes in diverse places that all these things are going to take place and he's not talking about that, you know, you, you could look at our time right now and go, are there wars and rumors of war everywhere? The answer is, yeah. You look on the news and you, you know, it's like, are we going to go to war with Thai, you know, China over Thai, Taiwan? Are we, you know, going to get into a larger conflict in Europe? And you, you hear other things, you know, you hear that. Um, <clears throat> when you think about wars, wars bring lack of food. I mean, the Ukraine is figuring this out. They're the breadbasket of Europe, and they're not producing much of the grain anymore. You go, why? Because they're trying to fight a war. Uh, that's pretty common when it comes to wars. Uh, sicknesses in diverse places, well, we've, you know, in the last three years found out a sickness that goes across the globe, so we, we've had that. And um, so people have said, well, that, th- what the Lord's talking about is that before he comes back, this is just going to be kind of the, the generic thing. That's not what he's describing. He's describing the first three and a half years of the tribulation, uh, and what it is connected with is a revelation. You have this. These events parallel what John talks about in the seven trumpets in Revelation chapter 6 and 7. When you read Revelation 6 and 7, we're not going to turn there this evening just due to time, but Revelation 6 and 7 talks about that there is one who goes forth to conquer without weaponry 
an individual who does this. He just kind of takes things over and, and it's without war. But you have another story, another individual. It's the, the, the four horses, the apocalypse are part of this, but whatever um, with that. But the next thing is this, is that there is war. And then there is sickness and pestilence. And by the time you get through Revelation 6 through 7, what it talks about is that a quarter of the world's population will cease to exist. And if you think about that, right now we have a population of about 8 billion people. And what John is covering is the first three and a half years that Jesus describes as the beginning of sorrows, and what he describes is that a fourth of the world's population dies. I mean, that would be incredible. I mean, you know, we, we talk about news cycles and say that they kind of get slow at times and the like. There's not going to be any of that during the first three and a half years of the tribulation. If you have a fourth of the world's population die. But what John says, that's just the beginning of sorrows. And, and it's going to seem like, my, my guess is as you, you think about it, it's going to just seem like a, a set of unfortunate circumstances you know, oh, we have, you know, this war that's suddenly taking place and people are dying and, and this. And, and people are just going to go, we have all these circumstances that seem to come together and we, we've had uh, almost a fourth of the world's population pass away. It may be that during that time frame, people are not going to understand the fact that they're in the tribulation. They're just going to be like, this is, this is really bad. Things aren't going well here and, and uh, the like. But there are going to be lots of sorrow. I mean, you have that many people die, and you're going to have a lot of people that are sorrowful over things that are going on. And part of all of this is that uh, <clears throat> Jesus says this is not the end, that there's more to come. That bottom uh, statement, the paragraph there, the second part of the tribula- tribulation in uh, there. It starts in verse uh, 9 where Jesus is talking about this. Starts with an easy-to-see event. This is the sign he tells people, if you want to know you're in the end times, this event is going to take place. What he calls it in verse number 15 is for us kind of a weird thing because we don't you know, use these type of terms that often, but uh, he describes it this way. When you see, uh, verse 15, when therefore you shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in a place that's not supposed to be. You're like, abomination? What, what's that? You know, how do we, we describe that? Well, as you look in the Old Testament, an abomination either talks about an idol or a person. You got, you know, two things it can be. It can be an idol or person. And it's standing in a place that it should not be. You go, well, where would that be at? A place that it should not be. Well, it's in the temple. And you go, well, how would people know what the abomination of desolation is? Because they already had it in Jewish history once. We celebrate event, uh, well, we, generically, um, in December uh, called Hanukkah. They say, what does Hanukkah celebrate? Well, back in 100, 167 B.C., you had a man by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes. 
He was a Greek who was in control of Jerusalem at the time, and he was frustrated with the Jews, so he finally got to a point with their temple that he said, enough is enough. You're going to become like the Greeks. I'm tired of you being like the Jews, and what I'm going to do is force you to be like this. And he set up a statue to Zeus. He offered a pig sacrifice, which you go, Jews, you know, no, not good. Um, And uh, he then demands that people worship the statue. And the Jews gave this the name, the abomination of desolation, because what that did is it emptied out the temple. No Jews were going to show up for that. But the, the, the problem was, if you didn't worship that, you would be executed by Antiochus Epiphanes. And so that became known as the abomination of desolation. And three years later, you had individuals by the name of the Maccabees who came in and took Jerusalem back. And then you have, they found oil in the temple and were able to light the candlesticks for eight days in the temple and restore temple worship. So when Jesus is talking some 160 years later, he says, you need to look for the abomination of desolation. And the Jews are thinking, well, we know what that is because we've had that happen before in our history. Again, if someone comes in and sets up a statue in the temple and says, worship this statue and offer sacrifices that don't need to be or shouldn't be going on, that's what Jesus is talking about. What we know from Revelation, um, I did not put this in your notes, but what you might want to write down next to it is just Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13 describes this event, what it will be like. There's an individual that will arise during the time of uh, the tribulation by the name of, uh, well, we don't know what his name is, but he's described in the scripture as the beast or the antichrist. That word antichrist, you know, we go, oh, anti means I'm against something. You know, he's against Christ. He's against Jesus. He hates him. But that word anti in the Greek can also mean this, one who's in place of. He's placing himself in a position of being a Messiah-like figure. And what he's going to do for the first three and a half years, I don't think anybody's going to be able to really readily identify that, oh, hey, there's the beast, he's the Antichrist, and whatever. In fact, I think he's going to be the type of individual who's a problem solver. Because there's no real indicator that he's identified until this point in the middle of the tribulation where you have the abomination of desolation. Um, I'll give you an example from history. And some of you lived through this. I I can't say that I did. Uh, I'm reading a book right now. It's called uh, A A Village in the Third Reich. And what it is, it's just simply a study of how a, a, a normal city in southern Germany, a ski resort town, suddenly became going from a very conservative type of community to one that supports Adolf Hitler and is okay with him. And then in the end, they're horrified by him. Most people don't realize this, but when it comes to the Third Reich, what they were saying is that the Third Reich was the idea of a millennial reign of the Messiah when Jesus would reign. But what they said about this, that Adolf Hitler, he's the man who solves all the problems. Before this, the debt was horrendous. 
I mean, they, they were paying uh, millions and millions of Reichmarks, which would be like a dollar for an apple. I mean, that's how bad the economy had gotten. Um, and he solved this. Built roads, built industry up, uh, built pride and country back up. And then, you know, these people were calling the Messiah and some of the churches that were there, they were actually putting up his picture in the churches as, you know, hey, this is, you know, the one who's going to save Germany uh, and the like. But then you find out what his real thing is. He's going after the Jews and all sorts of other parts of the population and murdering them off because he doesn't want them. And you go, well, how did the guy get there if he was just such a cruel man? Because when he started off, he was a man that was solving problems. So what, I, what you read in Revelation and the description here in Revelation, 13, or in Revelation 13 just simply describes an individual who is wounded unto death it looks like that he's assassinated, possibly. But he rises from the dead. He comes back from this wound that he has, and he comes into the temple, and he demands that people worship him. He puts up a statue to himself. As you read the account, he puts a statue to himself, and it actually has the ability to communicate and speak. It's, it, it's, a, you know, it's, it's a, a statue that's got that kind of ability uh, there's an individual there that is demanding that people worship, and what he says is this, if you don't worship me, you will not be able to buy and sell. You know, this is where they talk about the mark of the beast and all of this stuff and, and that, but what he says is you don't have that mark, whatever it may be, we you know, just be conjecturing at this point of what it would be, you can't buy or sell. And part of you worshiping and saying, I worship this individual is that you take the mark of that and then you can go out and buy and sell. If you don't, you'll be put to death. Now, for the Jews, they understood that the abomination of desolation, but they were understanding, okay, there's going to be something like that in the future. Well, this is what it is. And the Lord says, when you see in the temple someday a statue put up and a person proclaiming themselves to be God and that he wants you to worship them, the advice is this, run. Flee. Don't stick around. Um, this is, um, as you have in your notes there at the top of the page, when the statue is set up, this will cause the temple to be empty, okay, or desolate. This is the abomination that makes it empty. No one's going to be there. They're going to run. They don't want to be around this. If they're going to be executed for not worshiping this guy, they don't want to worship him. They're, you know, they, they better go as fast as they can. And the Lord describes it. If you're on your rooftop, and remember for Jews, they would have understood that they had flat roofs. It was like their porch back in those days. You would go up to the porch and sit on or the, the roof and you would sit there in the cool of the evening. But he says, listen, if you hear that this happens and you're on your roof, you get on, the, you know, you get on that staircase and you don't even bother to go back in your house. Run. And if you're out working in the field and you hear that this event has taken place, don't go back to your house to get stuff. Leave. Run. Uh, and you better hope that you're not pregnant during that season because you're going to have to run. You want to get away. And um, he just gives this. And he goes, this is the sign. You're in the end times. You're, you're there towards the end. And this is going to be the sign of this, this man who sets up this time, or he sets up his, his statue. Luke describes this time as the time of the Gentiles because there's no, it seems like there's very few Jews in the town of Jerusalem because they all run. They flee. They just get out. 
This time is, as the Lord describes it, the great tribulation. I mean, he doesn't say it's just tribulation. He goes, it's a great tribulation, and it's unlike anything that's ever happened before in human history, and there'll be nothing like this afterwards ever again. This is a singular event where you have this man who rises up here, and then the events after this, as you read starting in Revelation chapter 8, right on to Revelation chapter 19, you just kind of go through it, and you're like, I don't know how anybody could live through some of those events. How, how you could you know, keep your sanity. But this is the sign. He says, listen, you'll know you're in the end times when you see that event happen. And if you do see it happen, don't get anywhere close to that. Run, flee, get away from it. And get out. Now, in your notes, the coming of the Son of Man. During this time of tribulation, many individuals will claim to be the Messiah, or I'll put it this way, the Christ. You understand that that term Messiah, Old Testament, is the Hebrew word is Mashiach, Messiah. New Testament's written in Greek, it's Christos, Christ. Same word. So if I say the word Messiah, I say the word Christ, this is the one that the Scripture talks about is going to come and save mankind. It's Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus the Christ. He's the Messiah. Um, but during the tribulation, there's going to be a bunch of people that go, oh, I'm the answer. Now, we, we've lived through some you know, times in our, in our life in the 40, 50 years that I've been here, and you, some of you are just slightly older than that. Uh, but uh, you, you remember people going down to Johnstown in, in South America and drinking the Kool-Aid because they're following an individual who claims to be the Messiah and he's going to rescue them? We had other people, you know, we had Compound in Waco that uh, had a man by the name of David Koresh who claimed to be the Messiah. I mean, you, you have people that claim that in our times, that they are the Messiah. And what the Lord warns is this, that what's going to happen in a time like this is that people are going to seek God. Now, I, I got a little bit of this uh, when 9-11 happened. Okay, so here you have a, 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 a thing that just shocked the mindset uh, of people here in the States and around the world. Uh, when you have structures that are seemingly built to withstand things that fall to the ground and you lose 3,000 people to an event that happened on a Tuesday. I remember on Friday we had people here in the church that had never, never, ever been here before. You go, why? Because they were just like, what's going on? You know, the, the, is the end here? You know, what, what's going on? Are, are we in the end times and the like? And, and they were concerned because they're like, what's going to happen next? You know, we need to be prepared if something like this happened to us. And you're like, okay. So people start seeking. But what you're going to have is during this tribulation time, you're going to have people that are going, hey, you know, I'm the answer, I'm the Christ. And the Lord says, no, they're not the Christ. It's not the, they're not the Messiah. Don't, don't follow after them. If they say, well, you can find them if you go over to this place over here, or you can find them if you go over here, you'll find the Christ. He goes, don't believe them. It's the, that is a false Christ. It's not the real thing. Because Jesus says this, if you want to know when Christ is coming, I'll give you the second sign. Okay, you want to know if you're in end time events, you'll see the abomination of desolation. 
But three and a half years later, there's going to be another event that takes place, and it's going to be obvious that Christ has come back. See the way that he described it uh, in uh, verse number 27. Jesus said, When I come back, for as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered. He's talking about the, the final battle of Armageddon that's going to take place. But he says this, do, do, do people have difficulty seeing lightning? I mean, if you're outside, it's, you know, you're standing out there, the lightning happens and it's not like people are like, oh, you know, did it lightning? No, they, you, you tell, you can tell this. So it goes from the east to the west, you can see the light of uh, lightning that uh, has uh, struck the ground. This is what the Lord says. When I come back, it will be obvious to everyone that I'm coming back. As you read the scripture, you say, how is he going to come back? Well, when Jesus left, you read in the book of Acts, he ascended up into heaven. His disciples are standing there. Two angels come down, and as you read in Acts 1, 10 and 11, they go, why stand ye staring up into the sky? This one that you've seen go up into the clouds, so like will come back down someday. This is why it says in this passage that he will come with cloud or will come with power in the clouds and with great glory. It will be obvious he's here. Every is uh, the Old Testament prophesies, every eye shall see him. This is not going to be, you know, oh, I don't know, you know, is he here or not here? No, it's going to be obvious to everyone that Christ is has come back. And there'll be no question of this. And the way that it's described in, in Luke is this. You, you look for him to come back, and it's this, that your redemption is drawing nigh, that the, the, the one who can save is coming back. But understand this, the Lord's coming back also to do battle. This is the, the battle of Armageddon described in Revelation chapter 19, which uh, Jesus is uh, going to have to fight the gathered nations that are going to be around Jerusalem at that time. Jerusalem is just going to be, at the end of the tribulation, kind of a gathering spot. Uh, and we're not told exactly all the events that will draw uh, the armies of the world to the land of Israel. But they'll be gathered there, and when the Lord comes back, those nations that have opposed him and don't want him after they've seen everything and they even heard prophets that are going uh, during that time frame, um, that they'll try and fight against God, and it's like, it's not going to work. It says in the Scripture that just by the word of his mouth he will defeat these armies that, that are there. He's not even really going to have to fight um, because he is the Son of God. He is God in human flesh. But uh, what will happen there is that uh, in the end it will be obvious and then what he will do in the end is gather those that are still here that have lived through the tribulation and gather them together and that will start the time of Jesus ruling on earth. Which you go, how long does that last? For a thousand years. Revelation 19 tells us that's the, the length of the, his ruling on the earth uh, here before he then creates the new heaven and new earth uh, for us to be in. Now, you say all of that, and we get through all of that, and Jesus just simply gives this parable. You go like, wait, oh, oh yeah, we're talking about parables. We're not talking about end time events. No, there's a parable. We haven't read it yet, but it's there in verse number 32. Jesus says this, learn a parable of the fig tree. 
When his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is nigh. So likewise, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Jesus makes a statement. He told a parable of a fig tree. Most of us are probably not familiar with the you know, patterns of fig trees. It's not typical in our area to have them. But fig trees, uh, usually uh, in the springtime in the land of Israel, are the last trees to have leaves. Uh, by January, February, that's, I was over there in February years ago, uh, and all the trees are already you know, in full bloom, got flowers growing, whatever, uh, because by the time you hit summertime, it's 120 degrees, everything withers away. But about April, which is the time that Jesus is there in Jerusalem, the fig trees would start sprouting their leaves. And so by summertime, you'd have these massive leaves on the tree that's there. It would be the shade tree for summer. And you knew it was summer when you saw the fig tree with full leaves. That was the, you know, we would say a sign of summer for them. He goes, you recognize that as the sign of summer. And he goes, these things that I just talked about, if you see the abomination of desolation, you know the end is near. It's close. It's closer than it's ever been. Three and a half years uh, from that point until when the Lord comes back. And he says, you know those signs. Just be aware that this is going to happen someday. And so know the signs. And so uh, when people saw these signs, specifically the abomination of desolation, the end is near. It is at the door. That's the blank that's there. These things will be fulfilled in a generation. It didn't happen in Jesus' generation hasn't happened yet in our generation, but when it happens, a generation is basically, you think about it, is a 20 to 30 year time span, that's usually what they they call it. When these events start taking place, it's going to happen in the lifespan of people. One generation, and so everything will be fulfilled. And then you get to the end uh, of this passage in verse number 35, it just says uh, this, that heaven and earth may pass away, um, but my word shall not pass away. Lord says, no matter what's going on, you come back to this, you'll find out what, what's going on. Uh, you'll, you'll find the answers. So let me, and uh, this morning we had a few questions, but l- let me at least uh, give some acknowledgement here to you know, the question, will people now be here when the tribulation starts? If you're one who has faith in Jesus Christ, will you be here when the tribulation happens? And the answer to that is it's another part of end time events is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, those that are in Christ, he will come to get before this happens. And then the tribulation will start and there will be people here that will read their Bible, recognize the fact that these events start looking like the end. They're going to go, what's the solution? Jesus Christ died on the cross to save from sin. And you'll start having people believing on Jesus Christ for salvation. They will be preaching this good news as it says here, the gospel will go to the ends of the earth. There'll be people preaching that Jesus died to save people from their sins, to give them the hope of heaven. Uh, And they'll preach that. But the church will be gone. It's at this time that the Lord starts dealing with the nation of Israel again. And specifically them, but people from all tribes, people, tongues, and nation will be saved during the tribulation. 
but the Lord will be working specifically in the nation of Israel uh, to promote this message that Jesus Christ died for the sins of people. So, um, you know, we're not looking for the abomination desolation. We're just looking for him to come back. He could come back at any time, meet us in the clouds, and then we're out for seven years while all this goes on. So that's, that's part of uh, 1 Thessalonians 4 and the like. So we're not here for this. We're not looking for these signs, the abomination and desolation, hopefully, uh, because we know Christ is Savior, and when he does come just before the tribulation starts, the rapture, as it's called, uh, will take place, and so you'll have that happen. All right, questions. I mean, you know, you talk about end-time events, and it just, you know, sparks all sorts of questions and the like, and, and you have to gather from all over the Scripture and just kind of go, here's what it says, and I can't conjecture beyond because God doesn't give us some of that information. So, you just, okay. Yes? Two blanks. One is the bottom of page one. Uh, it is a person. It's a thing or a person. The abomination is a thing or a person, yeah. So it can be a statue or actual person. Uh, redemption. Individual look uh, tells individuals to look up because their redemption draws near. Uh, the Lord's coming back. Be able to save. Yes, ma'am. For this uh, uh, chapter twenty-four, verse four to eight, <clears throat> beginning of sorrows, is this before the rapture? No. No, that the beginning of sorrows, what he's talking about is the stuff that's going on in the tribulation. That's the beginning of sorrows. I mean, we have famines, we have earthquakes, we have that, but nothing on the level of what is going to happen in those first three years, as John talks about it. I was thinking the one part of the population that died, could it be the COVID? <laughs> yeah, well, we had COVID. We, we realized that there was a plague that reached the whole of the earth. I mean, we, we have not be honest we have not in recent years had something that was a pandemic level that was killing lots and lots of people um what most people don't recognize is that during the middle ages you had what was known as the bubonic plague or the black death they estimate somewhere between 25 and 50 percent of the population of europe died in a matter of about 15 years when those things took place i mean that that was what happened. You're like, well, you know, we're medically more sound than they are. Okay, well, we, we keep mutating diseases and we keep doing things like this. Could we actually have a disease that's unsolvable by uh, human medicine? The answer is, yeah, we could. But um, we, we really haven't seen, I mean, COVID did take life, but not on a, any of the scales that we've seen in human history before. Um, when you do, I mean, you lose 25 to 50 percent of the population in 15 years in Europe. Um, kind of frightening. So, yeah, that what we're talking about at the beginning of sorrows is the first three and a half years where you lose a fourth of the world's population. Yes. Is the just diseases, or is it wars and everything? Uh, the fourth there is you read in, in Revelations uh, six and seven, just simply is due to war, sickness. Uh, famine, and wild animals. I sometimes wonder, we're, we're, you know, we got more and more animals preserved and we're keeping them and protecting them and you get to that time period and there's no food uh, being produced and that type of thing that the, the animals really become wild. And so that, that becomes a problem too. 
So, yeah. Anybody else? I mean, it, you know, it, it's a fascinating subject. Do we have all the answers? We don't, but we, we can piece some of it together because the Lord says, this is what's going to happen. And you're kind of going, well, if he's God, he, he knows what's going to happen. It's not accidental um, with, with this. So, yeah. Terry? You say the statue and the abomination will move and talk. Um, yeah, let's just go to the passage. Revelation 13. Revelation 13 and verse 15. It just simply says this. It's talking about the prophet that is leading in the worship of the beast. He's got the ability to do this. He had the power, verse 15, to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Uh, I, I, I don't think so. I think this is, um, this is something where you have an individual who is empowered by the devil to do miracles. We forget that, that, that angels can do things that are supernatural, and when it comes to devils, they are fallen angels. And it seems that in this time that there is a lot of you know, miracle-type things that are going on uh, during this time frame also. Um, and I think as you read the, the account there that both the Antichrist and the prophet that is pointing people to worship him are probably demon-possessed, if not strongly influenced by demons and are able to do miracles that, you know, would seem to... I mean, think about this. If you have a guy who's the Antichrist, he's the one who's replacing Christ, what would you expect him to be able to do? Miracles. So there seems to be that with the worship of him, there will be some miracles that take place, like... He's got this image that he puts up there and says you must worship it and it's got the ability to speak and it's got the ability to kill individuals. You know, how does it do that? It doesn't say how, but it does. It's got the ability to do that. You go, you know, is it, you know, technology or whatever? No, it it seems to be that this is something, you know, satanic. Satan's trying to get people to worship this one who does miracles and he does miracles there that are basically frightening individuals into following the so-called Christ, fake Messiah. Yes? you think of our government right now where they're experimenting, they're going to probably in the near future usher in cryptocurrency that's going to be tied into a social credit system? Well, we had that question this morning. Um, we have a society, well, it, it, we have a society right now that is pushing us to go to a credit system. In fact, as you, you read, um, they're really impressed with what's going on in China, which is frightening, but they're really impressed with what's going on in China because they're able to give people social credit and people can buy and sell and get jobs and those type of things on the basis of how well they do. Um, you're familiar with the 15 minutes that you said they're expecting to in England and how that's going to tie into the cryptocurrency. 
privacy in the social media. Yeah, I mean, there, there's, there's some elements of that. So am I really worried about this right now? The answer is no, because I'm not going to be around when you've got the Antichrist doing it. But do I see government being able to control it? Yeah, they do it in China. Now that you, you, they, you don't have paper currency, you know, if you can get rid of paper currency, it's all, you know, electronically controlled. You can control whether a person can use their bank account or not. Mm-hmm. And so, I, you know, looking at the scripture 30, 40 years ago, I would have been like, how do you even do that? You know, how could you shut off people being able to buy and sell stuff? We've seen it in our lifetime how, you know, you could actually control whether or not people are able to buy and sell because it says if you don't worship the beast, you don't get his mark, you can't buy or sell. And it sounds like, you know, you have a global type of closing down of the ability to buy and sell. So, you know, I, you know, you have the currency and you say, could it lead to this? And you're like, yeah. You know, I remember people talking about the fact that you can actually put chips in people. You know, and they can have all your identifying information and do all of that for you. And you go, you know, would you get that? I'd be like, well, I'm not sure I really want to put a piece of electronic in my body. Um, but people were like, you know, that's the mark of the beast. You're like, the, the beast isn't around yet. But could, you know, could that technology be used once, once you have an individual who gains power like this? Um, you're like, yeah. Yeah, I, 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 very easily. And I tell people, you know, this, th- this, these events could happen in an instant. With what I'm seeing now, all of it could happen without a, you know, a hiccup almost if the Lord was to say, okay, time for this to start. And it would. What's your feelings on the world economic forum playing in all this? It, it, it'll play in it. They're, they're, they're talking they want a global order, you know. They, they, they call it the new world order and those type of things. But they're, they're talking, they, they're pushing it. So, you know, if, if there was to be a catastrophe and the Lord started the tribula- or excuse me, this tribulation time, we would fall right into this. And it would, be, it would solve problems. You know, if we, you know, we can solve all your problems by having this currency that's all together and all your medical information and be able to, you kind of go, okay. So, you know, we could, we could, you know, get into, you know, maybe, you know, what are they doing here? What are they, yeah, okay, but... It, could they use the technology in the future? Yeah. Yeah. And you could see it in the hands of a madman or a dictator who's suddenly gotten world-level power to be able to do that. So, yeah. But you, you, we've got systems that are doing it now. China does this very effectively. Yeah. They do it very effectively. Um, not a, you know, don't want it here, but they do it very effectively, and they're looking at the World Economic Forum and going, hey, we ought to be able to do stuff like that. And it's like, so, yeah. All right. Yes, ma'am. I'm so glad the Bible says fear not. Yeah. Yeah, fear not. You, you know, the Lord will take care of you in this, and so, you know, he is the Savior, and he is the protector, and um, he's kind of go, thank you, and, you know, I'll be taken out of this mess sometime that when not my hands and it's in the lord's hand so yeah okay um we had our sheets yes yep god forgives sins yeah he forgives our sins and he does not hold to us our transgressions and that is what the scripture tells us so yeah